My name's Tim. I, uh, I get to serve here as teaching pastor, and uh, it's a real privilege to do that. And this morning, we are uh, part of our worship service this morning is going to be uh, a baptism in today in the first worship service, and then again in the second worship service. And uh, we just thought, you know, uh, as part of the fall kickoff, and we're having the big block party out there to kind of start our fall off together, and what a better way to celebrate uh, than a baptism, this uh, outward visible symbol of new life in a person, this new spirituality in a person's life. So, uh, so we're going to do that. We're going to celebrate together. And so what I wanted to do before that is I wanted to just take a little time and talk through uh, what a baptism is, the significance of this thing we call baptism, this new life um, that we celebrate. And I'd like to do that this way. There's five questions I want to talk about this morning. And these five questions, I believe, are five questions uh, that everyone everywhere uh, answers with their life. Five questions that everybody everywhere has to deal with. And some people, uh, they bring them up and think about them real uh, directly. Some people uh, don't think about them directly, but everyone lives out answers to these five questions in one way or another. And I believe there are five questions that baptism um, and the meaning of baptism speaks into. So I want to I look at the five answers to those questions that baptism gives, offer kind of some imagery uh, that Scripture gives us as answers to those five questions, um, and just think about this together. So uh, I would encourage you as we go through this, if you do nothing else, uh, I would encourage you to write these five questions down uh, because I think they're worth reflecting on, journaling on, praying about, talk, asking somebody else, uh, discussing, reflecting on. Uh, I think they're worthwhile questions to spend some time on. This week. So, uh, all right. So, first question What story am I in? Now, my house, uh, sometimes I'm in Cinderella, sometimes I'm entangled. I have a brother who has uh, kids about the same age as my kids and daughters. And for a whole year, uh, he, he, you know, addresses his daughter, and his daughter would be like, No, my name's Rapunzel. And, uh, and then his wife would say something to him, and then, um, and then she'd say, no, his name's Flynn Rider. A year, he had to go by Flynn Rider in his own house. So uh, that's not what I, when I say what story, I mean, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that everybody, everyone uh, conceives of their life in some way as a, as a small story as part of a larger story. Everybody has a sense of the larger story of the world. Everyone um, has a sense for how did things begin? Everybody has a sense for what is wrong in this world. Everybody has a sense of, of what is the solution to what is wrong. How do we make things right? And everybody has a sense of where is, where, where is things headed? How, how will everything end? Everyone has this larger framework that they work within, this larger story that they then see their, their small life story as part of. Baptism is an outward visible symbol. It's an outward physical act of the inner reality that a person is attaching themselves to Jesus. That a person is saying, my story is now part of Jesus' story. My story is being woven into Jesus' story. I'd like to read a scripture that I think um, uh, gives us this sense. So I'm going to flip uh, to... 
Romans 6. You can uh, listen along. The words will be on the screen above. Listen for the way it's describing baptism as being attached, being woven into Jesus' story. Romans 6, beginning in verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The language there, the language there is being connected to Jesus, united with Jesus. The, our, our life story is now included. It makes sense in the larger story of Jesus in the world. This larger story, that the, the, this world we live in, it began, it's not this kind of chaotic, chance-filled universe, but we live in a cosmos created by a good God, that, that something has gone wrong in this world, that sin, this, this idea that people have made God other things, things other than God the center of their lives, this sin, this evil has infected humanity, and much of which is dysfunctional in this world is a result of human sin and that the solution to that is that the son of god has stepped into history and taken the death and the consequences of that sin upon himself that any who would trust in him might find new life and that the end of the story is that this god who's committed to this world and committed to men and women will one day make all things well the image i think this image of being of, of included into the story of God, the image I want to offer up to you is a book that we are, we are pulled into uh, the story of Jesus, attached to Jesus. We find our meaning in his story. And the, the book that we're reading at our house right now is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So I'll put this out here. And I think it's kind of doubly uh, appropriate because, of course, the story of the Lion and the Witch of the Wardrobe is about Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy who get pulled into uh, Aslan's story. Um, if you're familiar, you'll know what I mean. But uh, that, this image of our stories are now included in the story of Jesus. So baptism is an outward, visible sign of this inner reality that a person has attached themselves to Jesus and their small story is now included in Jesus' big story. So the question, I think, for us to reflect on is, what story are you in? Second question. I believe everybody uh, has to answer. What will I promise? What will you promise with your life? Everyone makes promises that shape their lives. Doctors take oaths. Spouses make vows. To have a child is to make an implicit promise to the next generation. We make big promises like these. 
We make little promises in our lives. We promise to show up on time. We, 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 uh, we take a job and we make promises to our employer. We, get, we go to a school. We make implicit promises with that. We make little promises. We promise to watch Downton Abbey without making sarcastic comments. We make promises <laughs> with our lives. I have yet to make that promise. We, in, a, in a little while this morning, we're going to invite, um, we're gonna invite uh, Gretchen up. And uh, the promise, and in second service grant, and the promise is that they're going to they're gonna make public, visible promises this morning. Promises to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Promises of how they will live their life. And these promises will shape their life. Baptism is an outward, visible symbol of this inner spiritual reality of promises, oaths, vows made to God that will guide and shape our life. I want to read uh, the text that I think gives a sense of this is uh, a text we looked at earlier in the springtime, Acts 2, 38. Uh, Peter, one of Jesus' friend, is announcing the resurrection of Jesus for the first time in Jerusalem. And the people there have heard it, and they say, what should we do? How should we respond to this news that Jesus has been uh, died and, and resurrected and is now king of the world? And in Acts 2.38, Peter says this. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, you want to respond to this news that Jesus died and resurrected, he's now king of the world. Repent and be baptized. And sometimes we hear the word repent, and we think repent means feel bad about the bad things you've done. We hear the word repent, we think, oh, I'm supposed to feel bad. That's, that's not biblically what repent means. Repent is a bigger, it's a bigger word about the entire orientation of our lives. Repent means surrender from other lords and lovers, surrender from other things that you've made the most important in your life, surrender and declare, a, declare allegiance, promise yourself to King Jesus. Turn away from these other things and throw yourself onto King Jesus. And so uh, the image, it's this image of turning away from other things and saying, I'm now my, the most important thing, I promise myself to you, Jesus, the image that I want to offer uh, this morning, um, this is my wedding ring. And a wedding ring, like baptism, is an outward visible symbol of an inner reality. So baptism is this outward visible symbol of this inner reality of vows made, oaths taken. Baptism is like the, the vows at a wedding. Baptism is like, is like when a knight pledges a sword to a king. It's an oath. It's a promise that will hold us. And so baptism is this outward, visible, physical symbol of the inner reality of promises made to King Jesus. Everyone has to make decisions about what will they promise and so the second question to reflect on is what will you promise the first question what story am i in the second question what will i promise the third question i want to reflect on is who is my family who is my family 
We all have to answer this. And I don't mean who is my biological family. I mean who is my community? Who are my people? Who's my tribe? Who's my family? Who are my friends? Who's the community that I will allow to shape me, to be my identity? We all make decisions about that. I think sometimes uh, we forget how much our identity and our people, our tribe, our family, our, our community are tied together. Our identity is deeply connected to who our people are. In the West, we forget this. In the West, we think that we just have this like individual identity that's, that we can just invent ourselves that's inside of us that's irrespective of our community. And so you'll hear people say things like, you'll hear people say things like, I just need to find myself. So I'm going to go traveling by myself. I'm going to go to Europe and Asia. I'm going to find myself. And I always find myself thinking, is yourself wandering on a beach of Thailand? yourself is stranded at a bed and breakfast in Spain just waiting for you to find it like Peter Pan's shadow that you can stitch back on and you'll be whole again so you'll find your no our, our identity ourselves is much more connected to these these things that we've been talking about who is your community your identity is tied to that what are the promises you've made your identity is tied to that what story are you in your identity is tied to that. these things shape who we are and baptism is this outward physical symbol of this inner reality that to be to, to be attached to Jesus is to be attached to his people to be adopted into God's family means we have new brothers and sisters. We, to, to be baptized, this is outward physical symbol of this inner reality that we have been adopted into God's big adopted family of his children stretching around the world and stretching through history. That is our family. I want to read a, a, a verse uh, this morning from uh, 1 Corinthians that I think captures this. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. Listen for this uh, community, this being included, this adoption. Well, it's not, it doesn't use adoption language. Well, you, you'll get a sense of it. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. You could say one family. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given, this, given the one spirit to drink. The imagery of being included into what that, that the, these disparate parts have now made up one body. The same idea is that the, us, uh, as men and women, we are now being adopted into one family. or brothers and sisters of Jesus, sons and daughters of God the Father. And so the image of family, being included in family, that I want to put forward to remind us. I'll put a family picture in front of us to remind us that baptism is this outward physical symbol of this inner spiritual reality that in Jesus we are, we are adopted into a new family. This morning is almost like an official adoption ceremony, being adopted into the family of God. So the question uh, for us to reflect on, the third one, is who is your family? Who are your people? Who is your tribe? 
Fourth question. What will I do with my past? Every one of us um, has uh, mistakes we've made, regrets that we have, wounds that we've received. And historic Christianity says that this, these things are a result of sin, this theological word sin, of making things other than God the center of our life, and, um, and that one of the primary needs that humans have is divine forgiveness. We've incurred a moral debt. We need to be forgiven. We need to be cleansed of our pasts. And that baptism is a representation of that. But even if you're here this morning and you say, Tim, I'm not, you know, Tim, I'm not yet, a, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. I'm not yet a follower of Jesus. You still have to answer the question, what will you do with your past? We all have regrets. We all have mistakes. We all have been wounded by others. And there's this reality that if we, if we don't do something with that, those things will define our future, will control us for the rest of our lives. Baptism. Baptism is this outward visible symbol of this inner spiritual reality of being forgiven, cleansed of our past. Divine forgiveness, those things no longer define our future. Forgiven for ourselves and even cleansed in a way that allow us then to forgive those who have wounded us. The verse I want to read for this is uh, from Acts 22. Paul um, has just started following you, Jesus. And this other Jesus follower is meeting with him. His name's Ananias. And Ananias says to him, this is what you need to do. Acts twenty-two sixteen. He says to Paul, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Calling on his name. Wash your sins away. That, uh, uh, the, the imagery is that when, uh, that when we're attached to Jesus, attached to him in his death, that it's like we get to go in the grave with him with all our past, our sin, our mistakes, the evil we've committed, the wrongs we've done, and we get to leave it there behind in the grave and come up to new life. We are forgiven, completely forgiven. Past, but also present and future forgiveness. And in that forgiveness, we also find the power to forgive others, to forgive others of the ways we've been wounded in the past. And the picture that we're given in Scripture is of cleansing, being washed. So the image that I'll put in front of us is of water. Baptism is this outward visible symbol of the inner reality that we have been cleansed, we've been washed, we've been forgiven from our pasts. So the fourth question we all have to answer is, what will you do with your past? The fifth question I believe we all have to address is where will I find freedom? Where will I find freedom? Um, often in, uh, in our world, when we hear the word freedom, we think of it primarily in, in political terms. 
we think of freedom from outside forces, freedom from outside coercion, freedom from other people making us do things we don't want to do. But biblically, biblically, we don't, uh, Scripture doesn't talk about freedom in that external sense as much as it talks about freedom um, from things that enslave us within. So biblically, uh, the idea is that, that sin is a power that we are enslaved to. And a way to understand that is basically this. Whatever you make the most important thing in your life, other than the God of sacrificial love, whatever else you make the most important thing of your life, you will be a slave to that thing. It will own you. You make money, it'll own you. Your career, it'll own you. You make your kids feeling happy the most important thing in your life. You will be owned by needing to make sure they feel happy feelings. If you make your, your re- reputation as a godly and religious person the most important thing in your life, you will be owned by impression management. If you make school and uh, sports the most important things in your life, you will be owned by the need to win, the need to get that grade. You will be enslaved. to Whatever you make the most important thing in your life, you, it owns you. And biblically, it talks about that as sin. And that Jesus desires to set us free from those things. So I want to read uh, from Titus chapter 3. Starting in verse 3. reads this way. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. By all kinds of passions and pleasures, enslaved by all sorts of things, we made the most important thing other than God. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified and forgiven by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. You know, uh, we do, we talk about um, uh, sin as a moral debt sometimes, but often scripture talks about sin not only as a moral debt to be paid, but sin as a power that enslaves us. Sin as a power that controls us. Sin, this making anything other than God the most important thing of our life, something that owns us, something that we need to be set free from. And that Jesus has come in his death and resurrection, we find freedom from that. So the image, the fifth image I thought I would offer up is of a key. A key that unlocks the door to our slavery, a key that Jesus desires to offer to set us free. Don't anybody take that later. I'm gonna, I'll need that. <laughs> so baptism is an outward visible sign. It's an outward visible symbol of our being set free, our dying to those things. When we go down to the water, it's like we die to those things that owned us before. When we come up out of the water, it's like we're being raised, resurrected to a new life where we now have freedom under the reign of Jesus. 
So everyone has to answer the question, where will you find freedom? Five questions. Five questions that I think everybody has to answer. Five questions that whether you think about it directly or you just live it out of kind of uh, answers that have been handed to you by culture or others. Everyone, I believe, answers these questions one way or another. What story are you part of? What will you promise? Who is your family? What will you do with your past? And where will you find freedom? And if you're here this morning, and, and if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, and you've been baptized, I would encourage you uh, to, to, be, to be re-encouraged about the, the answers that Jesus has gifted to you towards these questions. That you didn't have to invent new answers, that Jesus offered answers to you. Be reminded of your baptism this morning. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, but you have not yet been baptized, these things, these answers that Jesus offers, they are true for you, but I would encourage you to consider, perhaps, perhaps this is the year for you to... For you to experience the outward visible symbol of that inner reality you already know. And maybe you're here this morning and you're here and you're not yet a Christian. You would say, you know, that's not how I would identify myself. We are, we are glad you're here. We want to be a place where, where, where doubters and skeptics and seekers can feel comfortable. We desire that. Where, where you can search out for your answers. You can search out the living God. But I would encourage you, if that's you, I would encourage you not to merely say, well, I disagree with the answers that, that Jesus gave. I would encourage you to ask yourself, what are your answers to those questions? And are they more true and good and livable and beautiful than the answers Jesus offers? We believe, we believe baptism is an outward visible sign of an inner reality that a person has been attached to Jesus. They're now woven into his story. That a person is, has promised their life to Jesus as their, that Jesus is their king. We believe it's an outward visible symbol that they are adopted into his family. That on the cross he died for them and their past is now washed, they're forgiven. And not only that, but they have been raised to new life. They're set free from the sin that used to enslave them to live a new life honoring him. We believe baptism is an outward visible sign of those things. So with those truths in mind, I'd like to now invite forward Gretchen Roop. Where, there you are, Gretchen. Yeah. For Gretchen to be baptized and declare allegiance to King Jesus. This is great. How are you doing? You ready for this? I am too. Thank you so much for doing this today. I'm excited that we get to be part of it. Yeah. So uh, there's two, a few things we're going to do before Gretchen's baptized. 
The first is we're going to do it. Uh, Gretchen, along with the, com- the community, is we're going to declare our faith, declare what we believe. And so I'd like to invite you to stand. And together, we're going to declare uh, the historic uh, beliefs of the Christian faith called the Apostles' Creed. And we're going to have those on the screen above for you can follow along. And let's read these together and declare our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And now I have some questions specifically for Gretchen. These are uh, questions about her turning from other uh, lords in her life and declaring allegiance to Jesus. And so in baptism, God calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. To follow Christ means dying to sin and rising to new life with him. And therefore, Gretchen, I ask you, do you turn away from the sins that separate us from God and others? Do you reject all spiritual powers which oppose God and his kingdom? I reject them. Do you accept Jesus as Savior? I accept Jesus. Do you follow Christ as King? I follow Christ. Do you trust Christ, the way, the truth, and the life? I trust Christ. Jesus Christ died for your sins, past, present, and future. Through the Spirit and by your faith, you've been united with him in his death and resurrection. Leave behind your old self in the waters today and walk evermore in the newness of resurrection life. Now I'd like to invite um, any of Gretchen's friends and family who would like to come forward. We're going to pray for her before she goes into the baptismal waters. And so we're going to have Gretchen stand right here. And anybody who wants to come around, put a hand on her, I welcome you forward. Will you join me in prayer? Abba Father, thank you for the freedom uh, you have given Gretchen from sin and death. We pray your protection over her, that you would guard her spiritually and physically, that you would open her heart to your goodness, your beauty, and your truth, that you would overflow her with your holy and life-giving spirit, Keep her in a trusting relationship with you and in healthy relationship with your people, the church. Continue to teach her to love others with your strength and tenderness. And continue to send her into the world as walking, talking evidence of your love. Bring her into the fullness of your peace. And grant all of us, Father, 
all who have been baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, your son, that we may live in the power of his resurrection today and look for him to come at the end of all things, Jesus, the coming king, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Now, Gretchen, you can head into the tank, and I get the privilege of reading her story. This is her story of faith. It will be in first person, but it's her story. (laughs) I've known Jesus for as long as I can remember. My parents raised me to believe that Christ is my Savior... And I have found this to be true time and time again as I've walked through my teen, college, and adult life. There are many times I could point to where God revealed himself to me more and more. A few pivotal moments in my life where I again chose yes to say yes to Jesus, not because I had fallen away, but it was just obvious to me there was a choice to stand firm or let myself to be carried away by doubt, isolation, and heartache. A few of those pivotal moments were my freshman year in college and again in 2014 after living through two miscarriages. My freshman year of college began at Eastern on a floor of 48 guys and 12 girls, having just broken up with Kevin, my now husband, because we were attending different universities. One month into school, all but two of the guys had joined a fraternity, and my life became full of difficult decisions. I found myself in my room one night uh, when someone had dropped, uh, one night that someone, oh no, excuse me, I found myself with no Christian community, and everyone around me was searching for the next big high. I found drugs in my room one night that someone had dropped, and was constantly being asked to let people in through the fire escape doors, so they could avoid being caught by RAs who ran check in booths out front. There had to be more to college life than this. Long story short, I found God in a whole new way. Never had I been in a situation where I didn't have other Christians to live life with. And God met me in powerful ways at Eastern. Jesus was my sole Christian friend, and I realized more about how gracious and loving he was. He gave me a miraculous dream and helped me love my roommate Molly well. I am completely convinced Molly is the reason I needed to attend Eastern. She later told me that my decision to stand firm in my faith helped her not travel the party road. God used a difficult year to grow both of us. And we both left after that year. I came to Western for Kevin, but also for a fresh start at finding community, which Kevin had found in abundance through CCF. My faith grew into my own during the next three years I spent at Western and here at Hillcrest. In 2006, Kevin and I, now married, spent the next three years moving five different times for Kevin to attend grad school and complete clinical residencies. We returned to Bellingham in 2009 and have since had two beautiful children. The road to Micah joining our family was the absolute most painful year and a half of my life. I had two early miscarriages three months apart and was smacked in the face with the question of God's goodness. How could this happen and God still be good? How could God allow me to endure so much pain? I have never been so emotionally distraught. Tim preached a sermon on lament during that time and referenced Psalm 13, where David is feeling completely distraught, and yet he says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. This became my prayer, that through my tears I will be able to sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me, 
even though I couldn't see the end of the story. I didn't want to stand up and say he'd been good to me only after he granted me a child because I didn't know if that would ever happen. I wanted to say it in the midst of the pain. My pregnancy with Michael was filled with anxiety and gripping fear. All guise of me controlling my own life was gone. There was nothing I could do to make this pregnancy go to term. I had to trust God with the course and believe that even if I miscarried again, I would be okay somehow. Through other people coming alongside me, praying for me, sharing their common yet different experiences with me, I continued to fix my eyes on the bringer of my hope, Christ. Romans 5, 3-8 became so real and tangible to me. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory to God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Through this difficult time, I learned more and more about trusting God to be who he says he is, kind, loving, and good, despite my circumstances. I now know, deep in the fiber of my being, that the hope spoken of in the Bible is not the hope of our culture sings, a wish-upon-a-star kind of hope. My hope is in Christ, and I will be with him someday. Until that day, he will walk alongside me and continue to whisper Philippians 4, 6-7 to me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I know God will use this part of my story to bring fruit for his glory. I've been embarrassed that I have not yet been baptized following God all my life. I have felt the need to defend the decision not to be baptized myself. I have sensed a call in these last six months to just do it and obey. Throw off the guilt, throw off the shame, and say today is the day I declare my love for Christ publicly, and I want to continue following him all my days. I hope to see fresh fruit in my life, a renewed desire to share my story. I hope to feel free having listened to his call and obeyed. I hope for a renewing of the Holy Spirit inside me.